Welcome everyone to Be Better Betters. I'm the host, Spanky. Thanks for listening. My guest this week has been in the business for about 18 years. He's worked with some of the top bookmakers all over the world. He's the only person I know that is booked in Europe, Las Vegas, and Costa Rica. Now he's head of wagering at PlayUp USA. Please welcome my man, Rex Byers. Rex, thanks for coming on. Thank you. My pleasure, buddy. How are things? Pretty good. How about you, Rex? All good here. Uh, it's, a, it's an exciting time. Lots going on that time of year. I love it, brother. All right, let's I always like to start off Rex is how was life growing up? Pretty good. Can't complain. Uh, my father was a high school basketball coach and teacher uh, in Indiana, which, you know, we have a lot of the biggest gyms in the world. So pretty exciting times. We moved to a little town called Clarksville when he got the head coaching job there in 1984. Um, so I was seven at that point and kind of grew up in southern Indiana. And, uh, you know, really, they were from, my parents were from central Indiana, and never really had much, you know, gambling influence in their lives. Dad played D3 football and ran track and, you know, mom you know, did her thing was I had the only perfect attendance in her, the history of her school. But, you know, back then women really didn't go to college a whole lot in the seventies. My, you know, my grandmother was the same way, how you just did everything at home. So my mom was a dental assistant and eventually ended up going to school, got a degree and, and has been an accountant since like 1990, which helps me with my taxes <laughs> every, every time of year. I'm very glad she chose that route. Um, but yeah, so playing, play, you know, going to school, my dad was a history teacher playing basketball for him. He was a golf coach also, you know, I always had a background, you know, in sports and was always really into everything. I, I thought I was going to be an announcer. Musburger was my idol when I was a kid and, you know, wanted to get into that, you know, sort of situation. So when I got out, I ended up going to Ball State for broadcast journalism, which turned into just journalism and becoming a sports writer. And, uh, you know, was, was uh, the, uh, the sports editor for the student newspaper my senior year, assistant the year before that. And I did try to walk on two years in a row to the basketball team, made it to the last day. My senior year, they told me to walk off. Uh, such, such are the, such are the trials of being a six, five, you know, 190 pound stud, you know, to an extent, but not quite good enough to play at that level. I mean, I feel like I could have played a little bit of small college and I was pretty good, you know, well into my twenties, but, uh, you know, it's, it's okay. It was fun. Uh, that's clearly, I had a, a, a background and a basis to be involved in sports and whatever it was going to be. And once I figured out that writing was the best path, I did that. And I had a, uh, right out of college, I got a job as a sports editor back, uh, my hometown newspaper in Jeffersonville, Indiana, right across the river from Louisville. Um, so it's, uh, it's, it's pretty convenient, you know, every time that I w would fly home, even from here, or from Costa Rica, it would only take about 20 minutes to get to my mom and dad's house that they live in New Albany now. So it's Beautiful. really, really close to the, to the river. And I had that job and a couple of DUIs later, and, uh, you know, you hear everything happens for a reason. That's kind of what happened after that. I bounced around for a little bit, uh, right. hold, hold. So this is, sure. this is a lot of stuff to die. This okay. is great. Sure. So, so, so when, um, so man, you, you just, uh, that was, that was yeah, such a lot going on great. before I started booking. For yeah, sure. no, a lot. <laughs> what was your first interaction with gambling? Well, okay. Good question. Churchill Downs was probably like 15 minutes away from our house. And mm -hmm. I started going probably when I was 13 and pretty consistently once I got into high school and, and some friends could drive, you know, we, one of us would take turns to drive over there. We'd have to sneak over some days. We didn't have a lot of money. We didn't care just going over and betting on horses and being out there and, you know, having a good old time. We'd sit up there in the section, like 300, it'd be about, about a furlong and a half from the finish line, way up high. 
there are hardly anybody there on the weekdays, you know, Wednesday, Thursday, Fridays, especially go there in the afternoons. A lot of times first post was at three or three 30 school would get out at two fifty, and we'd, we hurry up over there, try to, we know we're going to miss the first race. We didn't want to miss the second. <laughs> yeah. They, uh, they put voucher machines up there around that time. So, you know, a lot of times nobody would be paying attention. You can go and sneak in, put the money in. And, you know, even though I wasn't 18, I didn't have any problem betting, you know, for, you know, at those times, like I said, there wasn't any, anybody to stop us from doing it. It just, at some point at the end of the day, somebody else is going to have to cash it or you'd have to take your voucher home and bring it back the next day. Wow. That's great. So, so this, this bug, was it more of a culture? You know, you said your parents never really gambled, right? Was it more just in the school, your friends? Yeah. Um, the, the area, I think that the Southern is a big gambling hotspot, but you hear about places like Pittsburgh and Youngstown and, you know, a lot of those places in Ohio. And I think, I think Louisville kind of gets under, underlooked, you know, underappreciated in terms of like that area and how many bookies they are, there are and how many people are constantly looking for something to gamble on. I know that Newport, Kentucky, right across from Cincinnati, was really popular and a lot of you know there's a lot of underground stuff that was happening there you know during the, the wartime and prohibition et cetera et cetera so you know during the during the pandemic I did a lot of studying on these things a lot of reading of course but stuff like that fascinates me you know so you know I, I know that Louisville has always been a popular area for gambling you're always going to get a game if you want one on the golf course you know just set it up and figure it out so you know I, I got into a lot of that too you know before I moved so it, it's a it's a pretty underrated town in terms of uh, you know the there's a lot of action there not just in the horses. I love it. So, all right. So you get your journalism degree at Ball State. You're, you're a big sports fan growing up, giving your father's a coach and everything. You're really feeling the sports. You love sports. You're writing about it. Um, um, and, and, you know, tell me now, how did you say, you know, DUIs, what happens mm -hmm. then after that? Yeah, it was, I mean, basically, it was my own fault, but I was, I, I thought I was kind of invincible at that point. The first time I'd wrecked my car, I actually was coming home from a wedding reception and was on the interstate and, and hit, just fell asleep, flipped the car over. And <laughs> I, I woke up, I was like, I'm upside down. What's going on here? So, yeah, somebody came, are you okay? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's kind of got me out. And, you know, of course, when they realized I was okay, then you got to blow in the tube and then you're going to jail. So, <laughs> uh, you know, like I said, that first time doing that was pretty rough, but I, you know, I didn't learn my lesson. I thought I was invincible. And, you know, a couple of them I got after that were pretty chins. But, you know, eventually one of them got knocked off the record, but two of them stayed on. And then, you know, the newspaper sees this. And they say, well, we can't afford to insure you. You know, you're only making twenty five thousand a year anyway. So it's not like you, we could afford to pay something if you go to a game, get all banged up and then wreck on the way home. So, you know, I understood. And they, they kind of gave me a little bit of time to, to get out and have an exit plan. So, you know, after that, it was just uh, betting on games real small and bouncing around from gig to gig, bartending and stuff. And I guess the next break that I made for myself was I started writing up my games. I was betting like 50. 50 bucks a game, you know, and we put the reasoning why on covers.com. So I started, got found it, ran into a posting form that I liked and I was good enough at it and got enough views and eventually became a moderator there. So like would sit there and try to resolve any issues or ban people that were starting to troll others or, you know, whatever. This is like in 2003. So, you know, that that's sort of when my, my first boss in the business in Hawaii saw my work and said, hey, I'm interested in what you're doing. Can you come move to Hawaii? And I kind of thought about it for a while. And I was like, there's really no reason why I can't go out there, work for this guy exclusively and provide content for his website. And of course, I had no idea that he was going to move to Costa Rica and start a book. I just thought I was moving to Hawaii. He's living on a golf course. You know, why not? So that's sort of when I, I did that in the very early part of 2004. 
And so, uh, so when you when you make this move now, you're li- were you living at home before you went to Hawaii, or I lived or- in Louisville with a roommate of mine who mm-hmm. actually pitched in the Cardinals organization for a little while. This is a rookie ball year. Brad Turner's his name. Um, lived with him in Louisville for a while. Then he had a house that was back by the high school, and uh, I actually worked at a, a Value City like a shoe store, like literally because it was walking distance. And I couldn't drive for a while, so I had to have a job where I could just walk to work and. You know, then the, the local high school was close. And, you know, I actually helped volunteer assist for the high school basketball team, the same one that my dad coached, the one that I went to Clarksville. So, you know, I did some of that stuff during that time too, but it was, I, I kept myself busy. I had a couple of girl, girls from time to time and it was, uh, it's, uh, it was a funner, it was, a, it was a very fun time of life, even though I was, I was basically had gone from college graduate to, to, to just no responsibility whatsoever. I'd sort of been like, you know what, I'm, I'm going to bartend for a while. I'm going to do this other job. I'm going to, you know, coach. I mean, I think a lot of people at that point probably would look at me and be like, this is kind of a disappointment. You know, this, this guy's not living up to, to some of the hype that he, he should have done for himself, given that my parents helped put me through college. And, you know, at that point I hadn't, hadn't got a whole lot going for me, but after my DUIs. So this, this opportunity for Hawaii, if you're selling shoes and now you're going to go to Hawaii, this is big. What is a big move? Um, uh, you know, was it a no-brainer, or did you have any reservations? It was weird, but I, I thought I, I kind of thought I had nothing to lose. You know what I mean? If I had been mm. in a spot where I've been had been doing something a little bit different, and he asked me to go, I would have been more hesitant. But I kind of thought, what the hell? You only live once. Who gets to say? How many people get to say they lived in Hawaii? So yeah, uh, yeah it was pretty much a no-brainer to go. And then from there, you know, it was really weird. Like uh, I was there, and we, he sort of gave me a little bit of schedule. So you kind of work when you want. Just post a bunch of stuff. You know, you don't go to covers anymore. Basically, you try to get people to come over here. And uh, you know, the guy, his name was Ken. He was a real smart guy. You know, he had a his own forum, and he had uh, uh, his, he had his own. Uh, I would call it uh, before anybody I knew had a model. He had a kind of an NFL model. It was a very you know, it's, it's think about as as is you know is it was it couldn't have been very sophisticated in 2003 you just didn't have enough data you know what i mean but it was mm. good enough that he claimed that it won and i paid attention to the stuff i thought it was choppy um it, it liked dogs <laughs> so nothing wrong with that right but he was able he was ahead of his time and he was able to get people to sign up for his site and then he had affiliate accounts with a couple of books most namely pinnacle so he was ahead of the game with the affiliate situation. What was the website? What was the website? Uh, his, his, I think his forum was called propowerpicks.com. That was his, that was his website and his forum. So I was gotcha. kind of employed to work there with his forum. And, uh, you know, he took the money that he made from his pinnacle affiliates, I think. And then said, I'm going to Costa Rica and I'm going to start a sports book. And uh, he didn't tell me that he went to Costa Rica on a trip and said, I'll be back in a few days. He never came back. So I'm sitting there without hearing from him for a month going like, is this guy ever going to come back here? I just going to sit here every day and write some stuff and not have a clue what's going on. As long as the money was coming, I, you know, I wasn't too upset. It just, it was just different. Life in Hawaii. Uh, I'm sure there's, you got laid a lot. You know, I wasn't there long enough to, to really exploit it, but there was a couple of tourist spots. It was in Kailua Kona. So right there by the airport, like 10 miles South. And then we lived right on a golf course. So one of the, my, my favorite trips and it never worked the way I wanted it to, but I, I always would go down from the golf course, you know, sometimes in the evening I chip, chip and putt, whatever, after, you know, no one was playing anymore. And then when I was done uh, so after dinner or whatever, I'd go down and walk to the beach and then over a little wall, there was a resort. So I would just have to jump that wall and there was a hot tub right there. So every night I would, or a lot of nights, I would go down to that hot tub and just chit chat with tourists and whatever. And, you know, one thing led to another once, but only, <laughs> only once. And then there was a, there was a time where I drove into town 
uh, and with somebody else's truck. But it, there was a time I drove into town, a few times I drove into town and, you know, once I guess happened to get lucky there. There's a couple of girls. If I could go back, I wish I would have had their numbers. It's a different time now, you know, back, back then you didn't have Facebook or, you know, any ability to try to contact somebody. If you didn't get their number, if they gave you a wrong number, or if you wrote something down wrong, that was it. If you didn't see them again, you know, your loss. So <laughs> I think the people, people nowadays take for granted how easy it is for them to be able to hook up. And there wasn't anything back, back then like that. You had to actually go out and work for it. I love it. So cool. Okay. So, so, all right. So you're in Hawaii now. Do you, when, when did this guy say, all right, I need you to come to Costa Rica now? Uh, that, you know, that's it. That's exactly how it happened. He's, he okay. calls it. It's like April the 17th. He's like, all right, in two weeks, you're coming, you're coming to Costa Rica. I'll buy your plane ticket. And I was like, okay. And uh, it, it was a, it was a hell of an adventure. I had to go from like Kona to San Francisco, San Francisco to Miami, Miami to San Jose. And, you know, going up and back the time zones and the delays and overnights in the airport. I think it took me a, a little over 48 hours of real time. Like I started my trip on the morning of Derby day, like the last Derby I've missed 2004. And uh, cause I go every year to Oaks and Derby. If you guys need to find me, just look at Churchill Downs those two days, I'll be there. Um, so I, I left on, I think the third or the fourth of May. And then I was there. It took me 48 hours to get there. So when I finally got there on Monday afternoon in Costa Rica, he got, he picked me up and I remember thinking, what in the hell am I doing here? We started driving to, from the airport towards like, you know, Escazú or whatever. So, you know, a little bit South, about 10 miles on the highway. And I just, everything was old and beat up and dilapidated. There was fences everywhere. You know, there were, there was pieces of grass that just never had been touched or cut. You know, I'm just going, man, I, I don't, I don't know what I've signed up for here. <laughs> and uh, he's told me like, listen, relax, you know, it's, it's okay. You have to get used to it, but you know, don't worry. And, and my Spanish I had taken in school, I thought I'd never need to use it again. So I never really paid much attention. I mean, I'm a smart guy and I pick up on a lot and I know how to pronounce words and stuff, but I didn't really know like, okay, this is like God's way of paying me back for not paying attention. He's going to make me go to a country where everybody speaks Spanish. <laughs> so, okay. <laughs> so, uh, so when you get to Costa Rica, obviously it's a culture shock. Um, and, and, and it's probably, you know, cause you, you have, a, you know, a, a nice uh, accent, you know, Kentucky accent. So people mm -hmm. are, or uh, thinking, man, okay, we know this guy's not from not from around here. <laughs> How does uh, you know it's a two way street? Well, I'm also six five. That don't that don't really help yeah, much. Two That's true. Short. Exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so, so. Does it take like how long is the uh, to, does it take to adapt to the to the new environment? You know, it took a little while, but not that long. I remember, I remember the, I went to the, the, the guys that I ended up working with, uh, the, the, the Ken guy who was partnered with, was the, is the guys that were part of what was Click and Gamble, which, you know, was a site that had a bunch of different operations, bingo, poker, casino. And uh, the programmer there and I are to this day really good friends. As a matter of fact, I'd sure like to get him up here and uh, work for some operation up here and get these Europeans out of there. Um but, uh, you know, so, so that, that it was, it took a little while. I didn't, I remember I didn't go out at all the first week we were, he, he had moved into a place, but the place that he was in wasn't big enough really for both of us. It kind of was, but it was also a little far from the office. We don't have to take ta taxis each day. So it was like, let's get a place within walking distance of the office. And so he found one that we moved to in a park in Romaser, which, you know, was really, really nice. The office was close there. And, uh, <clears throat> I remember the first night that I went out was the Sunday after that. So remember I got there Derby day. So not the first week, but like 12 days later, I think that the first day I worked was Wednesday. So 10 days after working, he said, okay, we're going to go out tonight. All right. Sounds good. So we said, okay, so we were, first of all, the first mistake, this is when I was introduced to Guaro, which is their, 
their sugar cane based uh, liquor that's that's very popular in Costa Rica. And, uh, you know, I never had it before. It wasn't very expensive, which tells you all you need to know about the quality of it. Um, and I drank it with Fanta, which was also a mistake. Fanta is very sugary. So, I, I, you know, two mistakes before we get started. And my, my first trip this night, we're going, OK, we're going to go to a little place called Deep Alufos. It's a strip club uh, over in San Pedro. So, OK, that's fine. Sounds great. Let's do it. And uh, and it's this, this club there. They're notorious that one time a night they, they try to get some guy up there. Uh, it's un, unsuspecting or, you know, a tourist or whatever. My buddies were telling me no matter what you do. And I had a belt on, you know, dressed up real nice. She said, don't go on the stage. Like no matter what, she's going to beg you to go up there and you just can't do it because they will, they will brutalize you up there. And I don't know whether it was the drinking or the fact that the girl, I mean, I swear to God, she had a halo over her head. She looked at me and like, was just like, come here, come here, Poppy. And I just remember thinking, okay. <laughs> my buddies are like, no, no, don't do it. So don't worry. I did it. And then uh, they, she took my belt off and they tied me up and, uh, you know, stripped me down. It was, uh, it was a humiliating experience, but uh, looking back, it's funny because it only happened once. And and every time I went back to Palufos, I would have like a little measure of re revenge when the next poor soul got taken advantage of the same way i probably saw 30 of those shows in my life and every time i laughed and thought back to how it happened to me and i thought well That's it's great. probably fair that it happened to me once because you know 30 other guys and uncountless others the nights that i haven't been there hundreds of people thousands of people have been taken advantage of the same way i did but the, my buddies warned me it's my own fault you know so that was my first real experience of going out and enjoying the culture and at that point you know i started to settle in and had some friends and met a couple of girls and you know it just everything was okay but that that, that part of my life didn't last too long because you know the, i could see that there was problems with finances and a little bit of insolvency the guy had was way ahead of his time with marketing and ideas and but some of the free free plays and the promotions were just too much baseball team gets shut out you get your money back on a bed or something like that i mean it's just you, you couldn't possibly overcome what you needed to do book and wise based on the philosophies but you know at that point i didn't know a whole lot about it i was you know i was very lucky to to, to meet up with Lenny, you know, shortly thereafter at that time. And then, you know, he needed help. And that's where we started the next chapter. And, you know, the next year and a half working with, with Lenny and the Delmar guys was probably the, the, the foundation for how booking, you know, sort of took hold and how I saw my philosophies, you know, take, take form in the next 15 years up to now. All right. So um, this guy, you see the writing on the wall when you tell him, do you give him a notice or what happens for you to switch over to go to Lenny's office? I kind of did, but I live with him too. Remember, so that's yeah. the notice. The notice was like, listen, you know, I, I got another job that I can't pass up. And, uh, you know, I'm going to, I'm going to, you know, tell me when you want me out and tell, you know, the house and I'll, I'll make sure that I have arrangements. So I had sort of started to look for places anyways. And Lenny and, uh, and the Delmar office was in Pozos, you know, over there in Santana. So mm -hmm. like I wanted to live over in Santana anyways, and that's where I ended up spending the rest, almost the rest of my time. But yeah, I, uh, I moved to a place in Santana shortly thereafter. And I remember Lenny had hired me with the specific purpose of helping him up well two of them first of all to watch his customers while he'd go out and recruit more customers so they gave me his spot on the stage which is right next to tommy and larry and then uh and then to what and then of course to get it there's a guy named al sim who bet baseball and college basketball totals especially and he was ruthlessly good at it but he had to update his file and there were so many teams getting at it every year and i think al just decided he was going to semi-retire and only bet the baseball so he when he gave me his basketball folder and said you got to get this thing up to speed so we can start betting the basketball well, the season had already played three or four weeks and there were, i had to get every game recorded see who played see who didn't play for injury purposes because this guy counted injuries it's part of his model so like uh, that was my primary job and i actually worked every day through christmas and new years and all the way to january 6th or 7th we finally got it up to speed and could start betting that stuff what year was this around 
2005, 2004, 2005. He hired me winter 2004, and I worked there through 2000, middle part of 2006. Okay, let's describe because the listeners, I think this is an important. This is probably th- th- this to me, like the guys that you're sitting next to, Tommy and you know, Terry and Larry. These are probably, I think, the best bookmakers ever, in, in my opinion, at least. These are guys I, I could never beat, and and they were. They had more gamble in them than anybody that I've ever seen uh, from that side, and they were uh, they were unbelievably sharp. Describe the atmosphere on how a Costa Rican sports book looks, and describe we'll get a little bit more into detail on on what these guys' philosophies were and how you learn from them. So the first thing you you learn, and you'll get a chuckle out of this because you remember uh, when you walked in there, someone was smoking a cigarette or a cigar, or like eighty percent of the clerks smoked. Now again, again, the offices now compared to then are a lot different because you just don't have that many people on the phones anymore. But back then there were still several people that answered the phones. There were three or four people uh, in the first two rows that would answer the calls for the big bets. So like if you, if you mistakenly got that number, uh, Poncho or George or one of the other guys would say, Hey, yo, bro, you got the wrong number. You got to call this other number. Don't call this line one number anymore (laughs) because Terry, Terry needed to be able to hear what those guys were saying. People in the back of the room, he didn't want the big betters calling in the back of the room. He needed them up front. That was like the first thing to establish how the, the call system was. And of course, like I say, when you walk in, just a big plume of smoke, like like you're just immediately engulfed with it. Like nobody can even see from like outdoors in inside the office half the time because there's just smoke everywhere. I mean, so that's the first thing you had to get used to. And I never smoked a cigarette in my life, so it was a little different for me. But you know, I'm sitting there next to Larry. He's got his foot on the thing, and you know, farting every thirty seconds and smoking his cheap cigar and. Oh, well, what's this? Blah, blah, blah. I guess Larry smoked good cigars. Terry was the one that would smoke those stupid Swisher sweets. I never understood that. But <laughs> so anyway, Skip would sit in the back. You know, that's that was Terry's partner. They were from Hot Springs and, and Tommy and Larry both from Birmingham. So uh, they partnered up. And, and I know that Larry wanted Terry for the specific reason that, you know, Mr. Green, you call him, was because he was really, really good at second half football when the, he would work with Baxter. And they figured out, wait a minute, they're going to let us watch a half of the game and then bet it again at halftime. They were out here just sodomizing people from what I've heard. And uh, I think Larry got wind of that and brought Terry into the fold. And that's how Delmar became what it was. You know, like I say, I I didn't know what I was stepping to at the time. I mean, I just thought it was some cool operation, but it took me all of just a couple of weeks to realize, man, these guys are taking some pretty big bets and they seem to know what they're doing. Um, so they, they said Skip would sit in the back and he was in charge of a lot of the PNC stuff and, and, you know, setting up meetings and whatever. And, And then I think the other guys more, more helped to book, the bets. And, and I, I sat there on the stage and like I said, I was doing out stuff and would give those numbers to Terry every day and he would take them to do what he wanted to with. And, you know, everybody, you know, had their certain cuts of the business and, you know, the, 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 the ticker, for example, would show like if Lenny's got bet, you know, Lenny, we book in most of that, but it would only show what the, 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 those guys, the Delmar guys were, were booking. So they would know what it charted for them. So they, they worried more about their operation, but I don't think Lenny ever for one minute worried about making money if those guys were booking the games he knew that he didn't have to worry about what it charted he just waited till the end of the week and see what he had to collect so you know it was it was a pretty good marriage for everybody involved I think those guys you know got to a point age-wise where you know they'd been rich and poor several times and you know how it is you've you've gone broke and then you get you get get paid again you've gone broke and the goal is to try to not you know try to get it on the uptick and try to make a decision of when you want to get out or try something else I think that those guys sort of called it you know, in the middle of 2006, Net Teller had gotten taken down or UIGEA passed or whatever. And that, that sort of hurts some ability to move money around. And I think at that point, those guys were kind of like, eh, you know, maybe it's time to get out. The getting's good. We got money and, 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 uh, 
let's call it. So I think Lenny was caught off guard by all that. And it, and it real obviously irreparably hurt, harmed him for several years. I mean, he's just now getting to the point where he's back on his feet and, and has paid people that have, that have asked or if, he, if people, you know, you know, have, have gotten a hold of me. Hey, do you know how to get a hold of Lenny? Blah, blah, blah. Yeah. I've, I've you know, I've still talked to Lenny and we have a pretty good relationship to this day, but uh, he fired me twice. <laughs> so, you know, it, it wasn't for anything I did really. It's just the, the business dean was different. He didn't hire a marketing guy and he didn't need me. Uh, once, uh, you know, things started to go the other way. So, you know, I certainly understood it and, you know, we moved on from that first one, but yeah, those are times that, like I said, I based my philosophy, uh, a lot of what I learned from, from, especially from Terry, who I think is the smartest guy I've ever met. So when Terry book describe, like, you know, what kind of numbers are we, are you seeing coming in on that ticker? Uh, I mean, it just, just depended on the agent. I mean, they had accounts. Uh, I, I guess my favorite time was always the accounts in Ohio when they found out that Toledo was rigging the games up. And, uh, you know, we, we, we had figured out, we didn't know it wasn't always Toledo games at Mac basketball. He had Terry had me go home and go through every box score for some of these teams for a while. He said, keep this to yourself. Let's figure out what's going on here because, uh, they, they these, the, the first guy would call in, say, for example, he wants to take, uh, it's, let's say it's Ohio U and, uh, Bowling Green. And he says, give me Bowling Green or give me Ohio U plus eight against Bowling Green, you know, whatever. And so, so Terry, the you know, first time this happens, no big deal. He goes, okay, move to seven. And then the next guy calls to take seven. So this happens this first night and they're taking bad numbers all the way down. So then of course they, they, they the dog won the game outright. So then the next day, the same thing happens, another Mac game. And Terry says, hang on, put this game on hold. He goes, move, move the game um, to, you know, whatever, say, move it a full point and a half, but keep it off the screen, which they could able to do. The software allowed you to do that. You could move the line inside, you know, so say inside only. So he would say six and a half inside only. So that would, that would move the line for all the customers who wanted to call and bet the game again or bet on the internet, they would get six and a half, but they didn't want to wake the world up to show what was going on. And of course they would probably go out and bet the thing themselves, you know, take all the plus eight they could find, you know, so they were betting this while they were booking it. And then of course the line, you know, goes everywhere to, you know, of course the next guy calls and takes six and a half. So then Terry goes like five and a half, you know, at this point, you know, on this, but off the screen still. So like nobody knows that, that we got the goods on this game because you're able to keep the numbers off the screen. That was kind of one of the things I can give you an example of, of how, you know, the operations were a little different back then. And you could get away with stuff like that. Yeah. You know, if you were booking those bets and they were big bets, you know, 10,000 or, you know, 5,000 on a Mac basketball game was, was a pretty big chunk back in 2005. When I was sitting in Terry's office, when I visited, I would see hundred dime bets coming across a ticker in baseball. Like it was nothing. That, that's pretty, that was pretty regular. I mean, I, I know that I, I got a good story here about crack, man. So I never answer the phones, but there was a, there was a, the schedule, the girl who made the schedule who I was involved with really still friendly to this day. Her mom's like my mom, but she, she didn't schedule, right? Because there was a makeup baseball game on like a Thursday at 9.30, uh, 12.35 Eastern, like the rain out makeup Braves Mets. I'll remember the teams. And I, I, if, if I remember the pictures, it's funny. I know at one point I did for several years, but there wasn't enough people to answer the phones. So right before post, the phones start blowing up. And I was like, I guess I'm going to log on and take a call here. So it's like uh, Braves Mets and the game's like 23 or something or 33. And uh, pokers are betting the dog, right? So the game's moving well. So all these line two calls come in. Finally, we get one to me that's crack man. I was like, okay, and uh, you know, gives me the password, and I, you know, I read it back to him, and he takes and he says minus thirty three for the limit. And the game's going to like 27, 28 on the screen. There's no way that this is right, but I had to read it back to him. It's on tape and everything. And uh, you know, and he says, yeah, I told Terry. He said minus thirty three. I said, yeah. He goes, okay, thirty five. So we hug up, and then of course the phones really started because we're a scalp to people now so then the, you know it go, so all these people take 25 and then they take 23 and they take 20 and then whatever so we're so at this point you know he's, he's got his bets back whatever so the game's fixing to start it's already started and crackman calls me gets back it gets me on the phone and it's like 
You, you wrote the bet in wrong. It's the wrong. And I go, no, I didn't. I can play the tape back for you. You bet the wrong side. So he's yelling at me, berating me. And I remember thinking, like, why did I sign up? Why did I do this? I should have just stayed off the phone and not bothered with it and let, let it go. There's no reason to involve myself in this sort of stuff. They don't pay me to do this. I don't book games. All I do is provide information. Like, the last thing I need to do is have this guy yell at me on the phone for, uh, you know, for, for a mistake that he made. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So it's funny. I talked to him a few years, just several, like maybe at South Point, I think I caught him in like 2018 or something. I told him the story and he just like, man I, I was a different person back then i didn't mean to yell and scream at you. But, but, the, but the funny part of the story and i told him this part and i said it's no big deal but i was with a guy in panama mutual friend named scotty king um back in like 2013 i i'd stayed with him on one of my trips to leave costa rica you know you had to leave every three months so i would go home for the derby in may leave in august or go home right before football started go in november you know to get out of the country around the time there was champions league or whatever and the same thing in february so i would leave like four or five times a year say compliant for at least three days. And I liked it anyways, because it gave me a chance at a vacation. But one of my trips to Panama, uh, he was working Walter's basketball, I think. And it was like a February afternoon or something. And I think him and crack were moving for Billy and uh, it might've been somebody else, but I think it was, it was anyway. So they got on the, he was talking to him on the phone. And I was like, that guy bet me the wrong side of a baseball game three, four years ago, or whatever. And he's yelling, cussed me out. And he said, said that, so Scotty told him the story. He said, yeah, he says he remembers it. Uh, he's like, if you name the pictures, like, he'll give you a thousand bucks. And I named the pictures, boom, boom. And he goes, all right, he owes you a dime. So <laughs> this day I told him the story. So like technically uh, Crackman owes me a dime. Now I don't need that dime now as much as I needed it back then, but I still think the story is worth it uh, even more than the dime. Oh, that's funny. That's great. That's good stuff. Oh man. Okay. So, um, before we leave the, uh, the, the, the Delmar, uh, guys, um, if there's one, you know, thing that you could say that, that kind of shaped your career, what, what, you know, in like, give me in like two, three sentences, what did you take away from working with the Delmar boys who are, you know, arguably one of the, one of the, some of the best to ever do it, particularly Terry. I'll, 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 here's, here's what I'll take. Uh, yeah. one day, one day Lenny and I had a miscommunication about who was supposed to give him Al's numbers. We were both out ribbon at the night before some night in June, whatever we, we all get going there banged up from time to time, especially in the summer, because there's just nothing going on. Um, so we had miscommunication either, but no, neither of us show up. I get there and Lenny gets there five minutes later. This is around noon. Well, there were day games. So he missed them. And he looked at us and he goes, what the F is wrong with you guys? And I, and I was like, I'm sorry. I thought he was going to be here. And, you know, he thought I was, we just messed up, you know? And he's like, shook his head and just said, y'all are never going to understand because winning ain't no accident. And I, I, those words I've kept to this day is the most powerful words that you're going to use, that you're going to hear somebody like that say, winning ain't no accident. When someone that smart says something like that, you know, you can take it to the bank that it's true. You have wow. to be prepared. You have to do your work. You can't be dropping the ball. You can't be making mistakes like that. And he, he, he expected one of us, he counted on one of us to get him the work and we didn't do it. And whether it was going to be winner for that day or loser for that day, doesn't make a difference. Mm. It's a bad precedence long-term when you make mistakes like that. He just, you know how gambling is. There's fine, there's margins, there's fine lines. You can't let things get away from you. Stuff like that. You never know whether we were going to win or lose that day. Those numbers didn't mean anything in the short term, but the fact that he sat there and said, winning ain't no accident. And me and Lenny, and that's like, that's like, so think about it like, you don't, you're okay if someone's angry with you or mad at you, but you don't want anybody to be disappointed in you. At that point, that was like my dad being disappointed in me. That's what I felt like. I felt like I let my dad or my uncle down. And yeah. even though it was a small thing, that's what I learned the most. You just, you can't for one minute, take it, take ex- expect anything to be given to you. You got to go out and earn it. Tremendous. Tremendous. I love it, man. Great, great, great stuff. Okay. 
So you leave Delmore. What happens? So Lenny obviously says, okay, you know, I, I don't need you. Well, Lenny actually parted with Delmore and then, you know, um, got into a little bit of financial trouble. He really doesn't need you anymore. Uh, so where do you go from there? Next stop was Heritage. So, you know, I didn't really know a whole lot of people there, but I, I had, had, you know, it's, some people had said, said Roger be interested in having some guys with content. And I had a journalism background. It's funny. He, he had no knowledge or care of, of my experience working with Cascader Dunmore. He didn't even know who they were, I don't think. I mean, he was still trying to, he was, Roger was a credit guy. And I remember originally he was the one that helped start Pinnacle. I mean, he was with George and Henry and uh, the other guy that Stanley, I think, and they started the original Pinnacle. They actually, one of his clerks, uh, Al, came up with the name for Pinnacle. They gave a hundred dollars to the clerk that had the best name <laughs> for Pinnacle back when they were out in the Caribbean, and that's what he came up with. So that's the the funny story about Heritage. And 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 you know, like I said, that the, the the owner of that place, extremely nice. I'm very friendly with with uh, you know one of his one of his sons, Louie, and then uh, the other son I'm, I'm pretty friendly with, the guy that's done uh, some work with Don Betts and Sports Options is now going to start his, uh, his next line service. So, like, I, I'm friendly with a lot of those people, but they had, I never really feel like I got utilized in the right role. Like, they put me in content, and, you know, I had some interactions with the stage and would sit out with the clerks, but, you know, I really – it was kind of a year where I just got to meet some people and learn some other parts of the business. And to be honest, like, the, some of the some of the Ticos that worked at Heritage, I didn't think really respected the office that much, but, you know, it, it's – it's what it was. I mean, he has just certain things that happened that, you know, like I have a pack of gum in my desk. I come in the next day, the gum would be gone. Like who steals somebody's gum out of their desk? Like something like that, you know, just little things that started to, to, to like make me upset. It's like not nothing big, but just like, this isn't really for me. And I, I think we both kind of saw the writing on the wall there and Lenny needed me to be back. He had started up his business, you know, doing some other stuff again. And it was like, okay. So at this point, his office is right by the Hollywood uh, titty club right there in Savannah, you know, right in the sh- down the street from Chris. Mm-hmm. So, so he, his office was there. There was like a stabbing one night, like literally right outside the office. So I'm sure the rent for that place wasn't very high, <laughs> mm-hmm. but uh, yeah, that was an interesting office. That's where I met Pim, you know, and then one of my buddies to this day who still books people up down there pretty high, pretty sharp guy. And then uh, of course, Richard Lewis worked with us at that time. And Richard Lewis is a legend in this business. Uh, got all the stories in the world, worked with Spiro. You know how he's from Louisiana. So how he talks is just uh, great. Is he still he's around? Good. He's in Vegas. I heard. He, I, I haven't heard a word from him. I don't know if he's alive or not. If somebody is, please reach out to me on Twitter after the show, Rex underscore buyers, B E Y R S. And let me know. I'd love to have, to have a beer with that guy. I think he owes me a hundred bucks still. <laughs> great dude. Yeah. Okay. So, um, so, all right. So you go back to Lenny now. Go ahead. Right. Yeah. So it was, it was only there for a few months. He moved his office to the new jazz building, which I don't even think anybody's there anymore, but it was right down the street from Plaza Mayor where the old jazz building was. Mm-hmm. And uh, we were there for a few months. Uh, that was an interesting cast of characters in there. Doug Bluegrass had his office. Uh, metallic guys were in there too. I, you know, uh, Drew Tomko, uh, Dewey's son was in there with his, you know, it's just a eclectic mix of people that were in that office as, in addition to the jazz people. I think there was a bingo chick that was next to us. So, so there's no wall. So like, you know they were right there next to us we were, she was talking her bingo stuff and we were watching our games and, and all right next to each other so <laughs> fascinating mix of people like in, in late 2007 and i worked thanksgiving day i came in i, did, I was going to do in game for the foot for the for the thanksgiving football games and then uh and then he had he wanted me to start doing like the half times of the of the college basketball remember that orlando tournament had started then so they were starting to be thanksgiving basketball at that point and i was like something along the lines of why don't you do something like or I, I forgot how it got off the rails but like you know it didn't take long for things to go sideways and it's something about i don't know eventually he sent me home and i said that's the best call you made all week and so that i smarted off to him on the way out and then i came back in the next day he's like what are you doing here i was like i'm here to work you know yesterday was yesterday whatever and he's just like rex i don't think we're at the same spot in our, our lives right now blah 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 blah. i think i think you you know like i'm not going to speak for him i think he was having trouble paying me you know paying me what 
what I thought I was worth and, you know, that with business being where it was. So, you know, just like, okay, I'm jobless again. So I think the low point after that came shortly after that Thanksgiving, when I went out with some people, RX had a, had a, had a party. I think if you remember, like if ever on those forums, like Viejo Dinosaur, Arturo, a uh, real popular guy. And, you know, the other, there's a lot of other people from down here in that Costa Rica bookie chit chat that was in the, the forums back then. So I made some friends, whether real or, or otherwise, through there and I wanted to meet some. So I went to the, that party that they had out in Lindora. And after that, <laughs> went downtown and played poker. That's obviously not the smartest thing I ever did. I think I made a bunch of money that night, but I was waxed. Got home real early in the morning. My roommate at the time, the same guy I told you about, the programmer kid, uh, Alejandro, <laughs> let's go play basketball. And I was like, it's eight in the morning, seven in the morning. Like, what are we talking about? Let's go to bed. No, man, let's go shoot some basketball. Eventually twisted my arm. So we went out there. I took the ball, threw it at the goal, wasn't even close. There's a little incline hill. So I tried to chase it, but I couldn't stop myself. Ended up falling down the hill, fractured my ankle. You know, at the time I didn't know. I thought it was a sprain, whatever. Went back home. I was able to sleep because I was so hammered and tired. Woke up in the afternoon. My ankle was throbbing. So go to the hospital, get x-rays. They say it's broken. My ex-girlfriend that I told you about from Delmar, who did the, 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 the phone sheet, you know, did the schedules. She lived real nearby. So she had crutches because she had ankle problem the year before. So she brought crutches over. They left the door open when they came into the house. This is right before Christmas. There were a group of Colombians that were going around robbing people, basically at gunpoint in their house. And this, they left the door cracked and the, the people just came right in. It was terrible. I mean, it was, everything's in Spanish. They had walkie talkies. It was all, it was a very, uh, it was incredibly organized, like six or eight of them. They came in. There were three other houses that were back there inside the door. Once you opened up kind of the way those places were built. So they robbed everybody in there. It's kind of like, I mean, it wasn't necessarily all my fault, but it was kind of my fault because I was, they had to bring crutches in for me and they just, we got, we got lazy closing the door. And, uh, so like I say, once I didn't have a whole lot of stuff at the time, I actually had golf clubs downstairs and really very little else of value. And so, you know, other people that got taken for important stuff, guitars, amps, you know, whatever, any sort of fancy electronic equipment. And, uh, you know, that was the low point for sure. Didn't, didn't get much worse. And you know, I didn't really do a whole lot those two, three months after that, even, but once I had talked to a couple of people at sportsbook.com about doing some live and I got some interviews there, like in late February, uh, a couple other people have got wind of that and including people at sportsbetting.com who had just broken off from sportsbook. And, uh, you know, the guy brought me in and said, how much are they going to offer you? I was like, well, you know, probably 3,500 a month. And he says, I'll give you twice that you can run the store. And I was like, sold. So we basically started a scratch, started a staff from scratch, but to this day, I believe was the best that was ever assembled in Costa Rica in terms of people getting jobs done with efficiency. I guess if you say 31 people running a sports books, if not efficient necessarily, but when you're talking, we had live lines, you know, props department, randoms, which was the NASCAR, which they also, we had NASCAR live and golf live. I thought I was pretty proud of the work that we did in those four years. Uh, building staff there's a team of graders all they did was grade the games you know two people grade it one of them grades it the other one confirms it from a different source then it grades um you know it was it was i was really proud of the work that we did there and that was a, a really good and fun time uh, and of course that's when i started my my ascent again wow there's a lot to digest there um so much so you just went from like the bottom of the barrel when when, when yeah. money fires you to be able to now to start building this was sportsbook.com Sportsbook.com was where it was sportsbook.com was with sports betting was a part of sportsbook until the owners broke off. So they had their business inside sportsbook, took it out and started with sports betting, which of course, as anybody knows now is owned by bet online. And that but was, that was, that. San, that was Santana. That was in Santana. Sure. Santana yeah. was sportsbook.com and they opened their office in, when it was sports betting. They opened it in um, Barrio Don Bosco, which is uh, uh, just a little bit, uh, 
I would say from Chris, it's about a seven minute walk, a little bit going towards downtown San Jose. So it was just right there as you start to go into downtown um, San Jose. So yeah, a little bit different location, but really nice office. It wasn't, you know, people didn't know it was a sports book. I think the, the, uh, the FBI building, the FBI people were actually in the same place or the tax people. So I can't remember which ones, but there were actual people like law people that were in the same office as us, like just on a different floor across the way in a different part of the, the building. So really nice office, really nice setup. I mean, they gave me unlimited resources to try to figure out how to build the staff up. But yeah, I would say going from, from that to where I got, it was pretty surprising given how things had gone bad for me in the last few years before and, or last couple, you know, a few months before. And then now to have a chance to run my own staff and hire from scratch and, you know, basically pay unlimited amounts. And then of course I had other people that helped me assemble that staff that to get people from one of the, the big play, uh, paperhead places in Heredia, you know, they had a thousand clerks and just get people who want to not be clerks and, and get, get a raise, you know, pay them 2000 or 2200 a month, which, you know, back then in 2008, Costa Rica, that was pretty good money if you worked in one of those places. And so I got the best of the best and it was very fortunate to have a good staff, but yeah, they made things easy and it was very fun. Um, it's different. We had to create stuff. We did the first, we're the first one to ever, and I can't believe it hasn't caught on yet, but UFC, we started booking minutes instead of rounds for the totals. So like me and my assistant, Madison, we, we would talk, okay, let's see. And he was a fight guy. So instead of making a total, if a total was like, uh, say two and a half flat, well, then you knew the, r- the rough estimate of the line is supposed to be 12 and a half flat, but you could work off of a derivative there if you wanted to say you wanted to, you think it's going to go over, you could use like 13 and a half, uh, under 40 or under 50 and probably get a bet. You know what I mean? So and it wasn't necessarily sharp. It was mostly square business, but it's also the first time I had real experience, you know, with only post up. So I had to like re- recalibrate my, my deals from, you know, the credit stuff that I'd done before and some of the post up stuff. And then of course, you know, you know, down the line, it was, I'd eventually see some per head stuff too. So been involved in all the asset, all the facets of the business. Right. Beautiful, man. So what happens then? What, you know, you're, you're saying you were there for four years. Um, Rolling along, man. It was great. And then the next thing, you know, I come into work one day and I get a call like the night before I got a call like at midnight and they sent the night shift people home. Like, you should be worried about that. I go, I don't think anything about it. Who knows? Maybe there's something wrong with the system. And I get a call in the morning. They were saying like, uh, it's, there's some, there's some serious stuff that's wrong or stuff's not working. So I was like, all right. And I get in there and I remember I check, I, I, I another person said, check your email. And they said, okay, call your people and get them all to come in. Anybody that can come in, if it's their day off, if they, if they can't, you know, whatever. So I knew that this was going to be bad. And there had been some people for bet online that were kind of snooping around for a month or so before that asking questions. And, and what happened, it seemed like was they basically, my bosses were trying to evaluate the company as high as they could for the sale. So they were trying to make everything look good and then sell it for whatever they could. You know, bet online was in the middle of buying a bunch of stuff out. And it's actually funny going back because you know, Ribs, who, you know, we've, you've had on here before, uh, had hooked me up with, uh, with Joe and said, do you want to talk to Joe about a job? And I was like, I know what they'll pay, but I don't want to go to Panama. I like Costa Rica too much. Panama's hot box. I've visited a few times. It's just, uh, I'm quite content staying here and I think I'm going to get a raise and maybe even a piece of it at some point. So that never happened, you know, so it, uh, when they came in, they shut it all down, sold the company. That was kind of a sad day, but you know, a lot of good friendships were made and that was in June of 2012. Yeah. So four years of that. And then, like I said, at that point, you know, once, once ribs heard, he's like, man, I'm sorry. <laughs> yeah, we, it's, but it's funny. Cause he tried to get me in the bed online and I said, no. And, and the funny that the guy that I got 
in the bet online, a Pittsburgh guy. Um, he's been there ever since. He's one of my best friends. I still talk to the guy every day, chat about stuff. We go over games. So, you know, I'm quite happy it worked out well for him. And, I, you know, I wouldn't have it any other way. It's everything happens for a reason. And, you know, like I said, could I be running bet online, you know, or part of it? Yeah, I guess. But I, I don't have any regrets. I'm glad to be back in the States. I, I did enough time down there. And like I say, once that happened with ribs, then he says, what about another sports book? We can start someplace called Full Boat. I said, that sounds great. So that's what happened. We ended up with Full Boat starting in the fall of 2012. I'm sure you remember that. Uh, I do remember it. I was actually, uh, uh, fall of 2012 is when I uh, had a little bit of a break. The only break I ever took in a business because um, I had a couple of uh, some issues right then. But yeah, let's talk yeah, about, yeah. let's, let's <laughs> yes, talk about, let's talk about football. What, um, how, you know, um, ribs, of course, another legend in the business. Um, let's describe his vision and, 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 uh, and what you learned working with ribs. There's, there's, well, that's the thing about him. He has no vision. <laughs> Everything's just a day-to-day scramble. Open the yeah. game, book the game, in the game, figure out what the number is, and then move on. But to be fair, he does have a, a great long-term vision and that, you know, make sure you just try to squeeze every penny out of every game that you can, and you're in the end, you're going to have money. I mean, he, he, he lives on the thinnest of thin margins based on everything that he does. And it helps that he has – a lot of outs and he had a lot more when they were when, when matchbook was going and, and active and he was able to, to, to move stuff through them. I mean, he could, he could book the games how he wanted to. And a lot of times I'd have to learn, like, listen, you know, this doesn't make sense of what he's doing, but I know that he's doing something on the side that I'm not aware of that's causing him to do this. And he certainly is, has access to as many or more markets than anybody in the world with the Asian stuff too. And he talks to everybody, he gets good information. You know, it's, it's, you know, you know how it is with that guy. I mean, he's, uh, he's going to do whatever it takes to earn. And, and he, he's, he's, he's a very similar version of you when it comes to, uh, you know, it, it, when you were in your prime back in the day before you, you, know, you, you hired your handicappers and stuff, you, you would do whatever it takes to, 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 to salvage whatever you could. I think I made a joke with Poncho last week that Spanky's on, uh, he's, he's asking for 26,781. And Terry's like, so now Spanky, I can only use 30 or 25. I can't use 20. <laughs> <laughs> you know, or I can, you know, he, and then of course he'd comment you sometimes, other times it might only be 20, you know, whatever, but you know, you'd always ask for a certain amount because you know exactly what you needed to make on that game. You know what you needed to bet at that price. The ribs was very much the same way when it comes to, uh, figuring out how to, uh, to extract every penny out of a game. It's because the more games that are there, the more he's able to, to work with it and, and, and find a, even the slightest of edges is all he cared about because the slightest of edges over all the games and all this amount of time results in a lot of money. So Rex, man, ribs is, is those are great. You know, you, you hit ribs right on the, hit the nail right on the head. He, uh, he, he knows what he wants and he, he's a savant. He just thinks, um, right on his feet. He just knows how to act so fast. And he's one of my mentors and I've learned so much from him and um, I got nothing but good, good things to say about him. So um, where do we go from ribs? Yeah, I'm the same way. As far as that goes, I'll, I'll have to give my own tribute. You have to understand this guy math wise is unparalleled. Like if I have a question about anything to this day, math wise, what's this worth? If the total is this, you know, what's a half point here, you know, at that level. I mean, he, he's, he, he's got it all figured out and it's always fun to watch him. I, I know Terry and Larry used to get aggravated because he would go on and be the best available by one penny. Like what's this idiot doing again? And it's like, at the time I would just sit there and laugh with him because I didn't know any better, but now I just see that they were just mad that jealous, whatever you want to call it. They were just mad that he worked so hard to make sure that he was going to be, be able to avail himself the best price. And and let's be honest in this, in this world, you're going to have to be competitive. If, if, 
you know, with me and my, and my role currently, let's say that it play up. Don't be surprised if the whole world's painted four and a half and four on an on NFL game. If you see me at four minus oh nine or four and a half minus 11, and that's strictly yeah. from him, you know, you're going to get one cent the best available with me. If I'm trying to write bets. So, I remember, I remember sitting him sitting right next to him, um, seeing him work and he, and he always would say, I got to be one penny better than pinnacle. I got to be one penny better than pinnacle. Mm-hmm. Um, Cause that's how you get to write. That's how you get to write the bet. And that's something to, you know, he, he's, he's been using for all this time. It's amazing that it's not, doesn't he get mad at me if I was more than like three pennies. You see, you don't need to be three pennies, one penny. Yeah, you just got to be one it. penny. The best don't give away my money. You know? Yeah, so yeah. it's uh, yeah, it was, it's working with that guy. It was probably the best experience because it was the longest and I learned the most, if that makes any sense. The other people that I've worked with are all smart, but Ribs is a definite first bout Hall of Famer just based on, you know, all the other things too. You know, he's an incredibly nice guy. You know, he, he you know, it's tough sometimes in this business. Sometimes you got to shake a little harder than others when things aren't going your way. You're not getting paid by the people you need to, but by and large, he's, you know, he don't, you don't hear a lot of stories and the guys he doesn't get in trouble or anything. It's not like he's lived in the same house, I guess, Rio Dave's house for the last, what, 15 years. So, I mean, yeah, it's, it's, uh, he's, he, but it's, he, so the joke he always tells was it was for sale from the moment I bought it. You know what I mean? Like the guy's just constantly looking to wheel and deal like any way that he can, if he thinks he has the best of it. So yeah, yeah that's yeah. what I learned the most from him. And I, 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 like I said, on and off with him for a couple of years. And then I did some, uh, you know, with the full boat thing. And then I, I did some work for another Canadian guy who, uh, worked in lived in Cedar Cologne and had an office out of there that was mostly uh per head and that was kind of when per head was starting to get popular you know he didn't need me to book there I mean I helped the guys that were there with some tips and insights but you know he needed content so I basically he's opened up a site called scoresandstats.com and said you're going to be the Rex factor we're going to hook you up and put you on there and you can write about games and whatever and try to draw traffic and you know get people to sign up that way so I did back into my writing days again for a while there and just betting you know I had enough money at that point that I was able to bet a little bit, you know, earn some. That's great, man. Instead of the X factor, it's the Rex factor. Have you ever, has anybody ever used that before? As far as I know, no, but who knows? I tried to get it on Twitter and I think somebody had it. So I had to go to the Rex factor three, you know, and uh, homage to my childhood idol Rex Chapman growing up, uh, you know, can't say that I'm too happy with a lot of the stuff that he says these days or on Twitter or elsewhere. And then you know, last week on the TV, he didn't acquit himself too good during the tournament with some of the stuff he said. So, but as a, as a basketball player that he was my favorite growing up and like I say, three was his number. So went that route, but yeah, nobody, as far as I know, did anything like that. And that was, you know, you know, in that situation, Zach Sunday didn't need, you know, my, the guy at the time didn't need people to move lines for his per head place. He, he needed content for his site. And so, you know, that's what that's where the Rex Factor sort of came about. And, you know, I actually liked my time there because it was a lot more laid back. I could kind of work at my own pace. You know, he just paid me by the story. And then, you know, I was doing my betting as well. So, you know, I kept myself busy with the bets. And then, of course, the best thing that happened there, I met probably my best friend the last few years up there, a guy named Kenny Conley, agent out of Boston. He used to have the wildest stories. You know, his best friend was friends with Whitey Bulger. So you can imagine how many stories this guy had, but uh, he, he had developed cancer there at that point. And it was terminal. His, his wife worked at, at Mass General Hospital. And I think, or no, he was able to go to Mass General because his wife worked for the lottery. So he's going to get the best medical care. And they kept him alive for like four years when they said he had two, but that was the end of my time in Costa Rica. A lot of it was spent hanging out with Kenny and just going out and getting banged up and, and uh, you know, kind of counting the time down until they passed PASPA. And then once PASPA, I could see it was going to come. That's when I started to make my exit plan to come back to the States and figure things out. And, you know, with my help of my parents, I was able to go back to Indiana for a few months and get settled in in 2017 and sort of hit the reset button before I came out to Vegas in the summer of 2017. So, so th- this is like amazing because you kind of went, you started off writing, you know, for the covers. And then you kind of, before, 
before, and then you ended off and at that right. 2017 writing again. Content. Yep. So yep. so and 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 you know like after booking, did you did, was the itch always there to like man, you know, or you just wanted to be able to you know you were able to, you said I'm able to bet, so I don't yeah. really need to book. What happens mindset because you know is it hard to keep switching back and forth zigging and zagging? Not really. Remember, I never booked a bet with my own money in my life. I mean, this is gotcha. always just working for other people. So I never really felt like it was going to be an issue for me to come out here and get my gaming license. I never thought it was going to be, you know, everything was was just sort of fluid. Like I said, the difference from the start to the end was the start. I couldn't afford to bet more than, you know, enough to, to have a small sweat. It, I mean, the 50 bucks a game type stuff, you know, at that point I was betting nickels and dimes pretty regularly on everything and had a decent bankroll at the time. So um, it wasn't like, uh, you know, I, I really went out of my way to write. I just did writing because it kind of helped me bet. I would do the research. I'd write it up. And then I would say, okay, well, it makes the most sense here. You know, I, I always would, if I, I could, I, I'm the best that anybody you can ever find. As far as if you tell me to pick team A, I could pick team A. Tell me to pick team B, I could pick team B. I actually did that at Heritage. I was actually in charge of doing limb bankers write-ups. And, uh, you know, limb maker was a legend. You know, that guy was around in Vegas in the, you know, 50s and 60s and would, would work with Bob Martin and Lefty and those guys. And so, you know, he was an octogenarian even back in 2006. It was amazing that he lived as long as he did. But that guy was awesome to talk to on the phone. I mean, he'd sit there and we'd call and we'd talk about the games. And when he figured out I was pretty good at this, he started asking me who I liked. But it doesn't matter. I mean, my job was to take his games and put them on Dom Best and write them up in like the 150 words or less and people paid for them. And uh, so I, I was, I did some tout writing there for a while, even though I didn't tout myself. And a lot of the times he'd be on the different side as me, but I could still write about the other side. No problem. I can make a case for any side, any game. The point spread is the great equalizer or in the money line, depending on what it is, is the great equalizer. You know, a team can win X amount of games that they're supposed to win, but whatever the money line is, is what you're supposed to play. Those percentages and margins are how this, this business works. Gotcha. Beautiful. Okay. So um, then now you're back in Indiana. Um, your uh, Costa Rica is, is, is no more. What, um, what's the next step now? You moved to Vegas? Yeah, that's like I said, I, I call them back home. My parents sort of agreed. Okay, listen, come in here. You don't have to go around and do anything stupid. Don't be, uh, you know, staying up all hours of the night or, you know, doing anything that's going to disrupt our lives. And you can stay here for a few months while you get yourself, you know, you figure out how you want to, how you want to make your exit plan. And so that's what I did. I went home and my mom was really good about getting me on a diet, having me help lose a little weight, which to be honest, she needs to help me again. <laughs> I need to get started on that again. I'm, uh, I'm getting too close to three bills for comfort, but yeah. Uh, yeah. So, so yeah. So I got out here on July the 3rd. I remember the first day I moved out here. It was, I live about a mile East of the South point. So the location was important. I wanted to be close to this because I wanted to be around thinking that visa might be an opportunity, maybe get involved with visa. And I was all in on having a chance to maybe do something like that right off the get-go. But, you know, at, at the time, that first year, I kind of just felt my way around and was was doing some betting. I didn't really get involved with anybody. At the, start. I know, the first day was 113, by the way. So welcome to Vegas. But I remember it took me until a little bit into the fall. And I think I got, I'm pretty friendly with Jeff Whitelaw. And I was able to talk to him and he knows all those guys out here and was able to get me hooked up with Vinny Maliulo and, and Vinny got me sort of a chance to talk to some of the, the people that are important at VSIN and give me a chance to, to do some writing and, and, and be on the air a little bit. And, you know, most of the stuff really at the start was just sort of feeling it out. And, you know, I thought that's what I kind of wanted to do. So to answer your question, yeah, I kind of was scratching itch. I thought that there would be a need for me in sports media. And certainly you're going to get your fill of me uh, 
from play up stuff in the future. I'll, I'll be out there everywhere that, that wants to talk to me about what we need or what we're doing. And I, we've got a lot of plans that, to do some stuff that haven't been done yet, but yeah, we'll, so, we'll get into that. Sure, what happens yeah. with Europe? Are you in your, when, when do you go to the, so you know? yeah, so I, so I did the visa stuff and then I realized I didn't pay, didn't pay very much money. So it's probably not going to be a future. And then I realized I could do some other stuff that I was betting, but I still wanted to get a job. And the whole point of coming home was to get a job, get a 401k, you know, get a insurance benefits. I was very lucky to stay healthy outside of the ankle fracture uh, in Costa Rica. So I was lucky. I get to a point in my life, I was 40 year ish and uh, it's time to start growing up and being an adult. You know, I'd had my fun. It's time to settle down and get some stuff that adult things do and live an adult type life. And uh, so, yeah, I, I had approached Sport Radar and, and talked to them about being an operational accounts manager. And that's something I must have interviewed eight different people and five of them didn't even know why they were talking to me. One of them was in Thailand wearing flip-flops and shorts. Like it was a totally like uh, crazy thing. And they finally said, okay, we're going to hire you. And this is in October, but not till January. Well, kind of the timing was bad because I was in that college basketball league with all these people out of here, you know, the, the, the Kenny White used to run and that there were eight or 10 people in it. And, you know, I, I, Metcalf had a team with Ed Sammons and Matt, Matt was impressed with my draft. And I think he reached out to me and said, are you working anywhere? And so I actually met with him right around Christmas at the South Point. And he had, at that time, it was just him and Chris Bennett. So to go to Circa was certainly in play if I did, had not gotten the offer from from Sport Radar, but I had already accepted the job. And I said, listen, I, I, this is a kind of like a once in a lifetime thing. I, I know what you guys are going to build down there. I'm sure it's going to be good, but uh, it's, I got to try this thing. So I, I did, I still left for Europe on January the 3rd and their goal was to keep me over there for six months and the two other Americans they hired as well. So we all went over there, lived in the same house over in Southern Spain and then walked to Gibraltar across the border every day, uh, you know, half hour, one way, half hour back. And, uh, for three months, that's what we did. And it was a interesting time in my life. You know, we slept every night. I could see that rock when I went to bed, the rock of Gibraltar, pretty crazy. Um, the weather was temperate in Spain, fifties, most days or sixties and the lows in the thirties and forties, it wasn't bad, but it was just different, you know, but I'm so glad that I did it. I mean, the job was something that wasn't really for me. Basically we were intermediaries between the bookmakers and the, the, the companies. So like, say, for example, the traders are in London, the people that are booking the games, they make a mistake on something or whatever happens, something that's the, 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 the companies that's paying us whatever, whatever they are, Whatever country they're in, it's not happy. And we had hundreds of bookmakers at the time. Then everybody has a certain set of number. Now, I was just being under training, so I never really had my own responsibilities for the most part. But I would be involved in like the, the liaison, like, here, okay, this is what the communication is between this side. This is what they're mad about. Here's what do we tell them, you know? And so a lot of times we'd have to clean up messes. And that was kind of the job. It really had very little to do with the booking or the trading aspects. But those jobs, kind of like the way that they talked about, were like higher up the food chain. Like if you wanted to make more money, you needed to do what we were doing. So like that was operational accounts manager type were, 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 was a great learning experience. And it also taught me that I needed to get out of that because I wasn't happy. I mean, I love the, the people that were there, but I, you know, I got back to the States to finish up my training and being eight hours away from those people, it meant, it meant that I wasn't near the office. It was different time zones. Uh, there were problems that would come up that I, if I needed to get addressed, it couldn't get addressed until the next day, because by the time I started working, they were finishing. By the time that something might happen in the middle of the night, their time, they, they weren't expected to answer the phone. So it just, it was just not a good fit. And that, at that point, the, the dominoes started to fall with circa opening and people moving around and that that you know sort of sort of led to the the ability for me to go into the south point i had dinner i think with paul stone and matt lindeman and a few others one night uh right around the time that the, the golden nugget was opening their season win totals in the football and paul was in town and uh, chris andrews was invited and he had been going through some health stuff and still kind of was was going to be going through more but he came up to the dinner and we we sat had down had a talk and then he invited me to the office and then uh a few days later he, he made sure that we got my gaming license and i started at the south point in uh in june of 2020 2020 i guess 2019 2019 yeah right after circa opened 
All right. So um, now, man, you're, you're you're at the South. How, you don't stay. You don't stay at the South Point long. Cup of coffee. Yeah. Um, yeah, not a good fit. I mean, Chris wasn't there to kind of explain how he wanted things to be done and, uh, more dominoes were falling. I, I'd want to go to the circuit and Metcalf was sort of like, man, I just took two of Chris's people. I'm not going to take another one if he wants to hire you. So like the timing for circuit was never right. And if you remember, this is a time when you were in town, like that, that first day, the circuit opened at the golden gate. Like I had stayed at the main street station and we sort of commandeered that whole corner. It was me, you tunes, uh, Randy McKay and Dinky. Remember that? I think we have a picture. Yeah, 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 yeah. We had dinner that night. I think Shane Sigsby, a few others were out. I mean, it was a good time. Um, but that, that was a time, like I said, a lot of, lot of limbo in terms of my work future. And uh, like I said, I, I had talked to Jeff Davis a little bit and he had lost Lindemann to Circa, um, you know, right before football started, you know, and that, that's when first Circa, you know, with Matt's, with both the Matt's doing the football, they were going to open that stuff first. And uh, Jeff needed a college guy and he'd heard good enough things. I think Matt said good things about me. And I didn't know Jeff. Well, the one time I went out with him, I got absolutely waxed. I didn't know that I told Lindemann, I didn't know we were having an interview here. I thought we were out having drinks. <laughs> so I didn't equip myself too well that night, but yeah. you know, I think that my work ethic had gotten out there. People know that I knew what I was talking about, knew what I was doing, had good experience. And so that was when I, you know, I went to Caesars with very little, you know, issue, just like, okay, leave the South point, go to Caesars. And that's started there. And like I said, September, I think right, right around the start of football ball and then uh, stayed there till for a little over a year which was interesting because you know you worked that first year during everything normal and then all of a sudden march comes you've worked uh you know eight or nine six or seven eight months normal now all of a sudden you get a pandemic and i think we had 20 of us on our staff in the hub which was in you know the basement at harris and uh and then that's that that, that all comes to a grinding halt well at that point that the caesar saw a deal with espn that wanted they wanted content they wanted whatever they could get so they had us do like season win totals and futures in the college football, even though we had no, no Phil steel or no, I never made numbers without that before. So we just kind of sort of did the best we could compare our numbers to each other and said, okay, maybe you're right about this team, maybe whatever you're right about this one. And, you know, there's countless days we spent there in the hub when you know, they only kept six of us. So the other 14 were unemployed, me and Jeff Berg uh, and a couple others really were the only ones that stayed around during the, the pandemic. And, and after a while, I think they closed the, the doors on us. Once we got that done, said, you're not working at the casino anymore. Go to, go to Caesars corporate, pick up a laptop and you'll work from home. And that's, you know, I worked from home that whole summer from, you know, the two to 10 my only job was, you know, keeping on Russian ping pong. And then, uh, you know, <laughs> you know, whatever, Belarusian <laughs> soccer, I know more about Belarus than anybody on earth just because I studied everything about that and bet the Belarusian soccer pretty successfully there for a few months. And that was the only thing going on. And uh, wow. yeah. Beautiful. Good stuff, Rex. So, um, you know, you're working with some really, really unbelievable bookmakers at this time. And even though it's for a short while, you're just, mm -hmm. it's, it's shaping, molding you. And what, you know, everyone says great things about, about Jeff Davis. What, what, um, what, what, what do you think uh, you, you could say that you kind of picked up working with Jeff? I think Jeff's underappreciated ability is the fact that he's so versatile. Like he, he they, the Circa could have picked him up to book high life. If they don't want to, he'd do it. He'd be fine at it. He happens to be very good at hockey and likes hockey. So of course it's a natural fit for anybody because it's a kind of an, a niche sport when it comes to the big four. He also is you know, incredibly good at golf. I don't even know if he likes golf, but I know that he likes betting on golf and he thinks he can make money betting on golf. And the fact that he can go book golf at a low margin, something that had to appeal to him. And, you know, working with them guys, they were going to give them all kinds of, of possibilities. And it didn't surprise me at all when they were wanted to hire him. I mean, remember when I went to Caesars, we knew 
that the writing was on the wall. William Hill had already bought Caesars out. So this was always going to be a temporary thing. I was never going to be at Caesars much longer than he was or never going to be there much longer, you know, the Berg, if I would outstate him. And of course he ended up, you know, going to Winbet and running Winbet. He was a very good friend of mine to this day. And he helped me a lot getting through the, the tough time that summer was tough, man. I mean, there was just, uh, it was, it, there was nothing going on every day. There was no games. There wasn't, you know, any end in sight and, you know, a lot of, uh, you know, just a lot of hard, hard days. And, you know, once I had, had, had established the ability to maybe try to interview with the, the Westgate and, and he knew that, I think he was happy for me. And the fact that, you know, the people there, um, welcome me was great but yeah to this day i talk to jeff uh, frequently you know we we go over stuff all the time i'm looking forward i'm gonna try to catch him next week before you come out um but yeah it's uh, he's uh he's a he's a good friend of this day and he's certainly one of the smartest people i've ever met in vegas or elsewhere beautiful awesome man okay so um so now you're, you're the the writing's on the wall you're not going to be at william hill um under that regime um, so what happens then, you know, with the Westgate, how does, how does that process start? Yeah, well, like I said, once I got to get, get my information and Berg was good friends with John Murray as well. So once I was able to get the clearance there and get an interview, I think that the, there was interest there from the get go. It was funny. The interview was with Jeff Sherman, Ed Sammons and John Murray, three people who I respect immensely in addition to their boss, Jay Cornegate. Um, but the interview was just, they asked me about some philosophies and they were familiar with my work and a lot of the stuff that I tweet was out there. You know, it's not like I'm, uh, I'm not, I'm, I'm not hiding anything. I'm pretty much an open book. You're going to get, see what you see is what you get with me. And like, I think that Sherman had noticed that I was pretty anti their stance on baseball. They were the first ones to start booking baseball. Or one of the first, I think the South Point was right there with them, started booking all the baseball as action. And there were no listed pitchers. Well, that, that to me seemed asinine because I come from a sharp background that would never, ever bet a baseball game without knowing who the starting pitchers are. I have to have action listed. So like, but I, I, I'm not, I'm not seeing the forest through the trees here. The bottom line is the business that, that we book in Nevada, especially is not sharp. Most of it, a lot of it is, but a lot of the stuff is not the bets we write are just from public. You don't want to cancel bets from public people because the guy doesn't pitch. So their, their philosophy, I remember Sherman asked me the question in the interview, um, I see you're not fond of our baseball uh, action. I go, no, I think it's stupid. <laughs> so the whole room laughed. But at that point, everything had gone good in the interview, and I was honest with them there. So I think that that, that part of it, once that got happened, I think I was pretty much in the door. Like, I don't, I don't think there's anything I was going to do at that point, like, to not have the job. Otherwise, I wouldn't have said something like that. You know what I mean? Like, it was going well. I could see it was going to be a good fit. I, I could see that these guys were people I was going to continue to learn off of. And that's always been my goal. Like, Spank, I, money's not everything. It's it's going to be important at some point. You got It's nice to have it. It's nice to have some some con, some stability and some confidence continuity and, and the, the ability to live a decent life. But, you know, I've always tried to strive to learn as much as I can. Like if you can't go out and learn something every day, then what are we doing in this life? You know, point. Great I, point. I knew when I was working with those guys, I was going to learn something almost every day. And that was, that made it an easy decision. So once they offered me, even though I wasn't really happy about the money, I, I, I said, listen, this isn't, this isn't the biggest thing right now. The fact that I have a job that's going to be better than the last job in terms of, you know, with the regime, you know, I'm not interested in working somewhere where they don't want to write bets. We're going to cancel bets for people that, that win. I think it's important to know that, like I've always had to pride myself on working at places that are willing to take a bet. Yeah, no, that, that's a great point. So this is, um, you know, the one thing about you, Rex, is that you're not afraid to speak up. And if you disagree with somebody or if you, you, you just speak your mind, which is, which is what somebody wants. Nobody wants a yes man uh, uh, type guy. Um, I, so, so that, that you're, you're a valuable asset in that sense. I, I believe at least, you know, um, so, so w w when you were, at the Westgate, let's talk about, you know, who are you sitting side by side with? Describe a day to day because the Westgate notoriously is known for being one of the better books out there. 
um, let's talk about how, you know, what, what did you like about the Westgate? What did you learn? What did you not like about the Westgate? Well, I mean, I guess one of the things I like the most is that it's right behind, our hub was right behind the book. So unlike at Caesars where you're sitting in the basement at Harris and watching games and you don't know what's happening, like you can't get the pulse of the crowd, like at the Westgate, you got it. And our, a lot of times we had a feed that was faster than what they showed out in the book. So we could watch it and know like four seconds later what the crowd was going to do. You know what I mean? That was always funny. Or if Don Best, they're, they're notoriously really good about one thing, and that's updating the scores in the NBA. They're way faster than everybody else there. So like if I see something happen, in an NBA score or sometimes in the NFL, you knew something was going to happen. So you could sit there and watch the game and say, okay, something's going to happen here. Let's see what happens in the book. And that was my favorite part of the job by far. I always loved hearing the reactions of people that were out in the book. Now I sat in a chair that usually was occupied by Randy Bloom, who's the morning guy, uh, you know, and I'm more, more the afternoon guy. And he, he's, he's a baseball guy, but most of the time he would leave when I was getting there, you know, give or take. So most of the shifts that I worked, uh, especially here towards the end, um, were on his side of the room, which was, um, there's three different seats that are facing out the book. The rest of them face away. Um, and a couple of the people that face away are sitting still part of the risk team. But usually when Sherman was there, that middle seat was his. It's always is, always is. So if you knew Jeff was working, you know, except for, you know, he was off on Wednesdays and Thursdays. So, or no, sorry, Thursdays and Fridays and Ed's off on Wednesdays and Thursdays. So Ed Sammons would be on the other chair. So if Ed was working and Jeff was working, most of the days that I was working, I would be sitting with them. Um, especially on Sundays during the NFL, you know, and that's, that's how, you know, I'd say that the, probably my, the biggest thing that I, I got out of is learning how to do, learning how those guys operate in the NFL, working two full NFL seasons with them or close to it and seeing how they operated, especially, you know, Ed, because ultimately Ed makes the final call on that stuff. But, you know, it was every Sunday at like three o'clock, three 30, Murray would come slumbering out of his office in the back and Murray, Ed, me and Jeff would talk about the numbers for the next week. And then we'd fire them up you know, first in the world to, to fire up the NFL for the next week for full limits. So, that was uh, that was probably the, the best part, I guess, or the day to day parts. But, you know, it, it's, it's like anything else. I mean, I had certain responsibilities, but ultimately it came in, get there and try to book the games. And I, I told them when I got hired, like, I'm really going to try to do the best I can to train some of these other kids because, I, you know, I knew that I wanted to, to do something different. I knew that I wanted to, to run my own place at some point. But I also knew that I had a responsibility to those guys to try to train some of these people to take my place or, you know, whenever that was going to be the time or somebody else's place or step up as we continue to promote or continue to add states. I mean, once you add car in new jersey you turn from you turn into a 24-hour operation at that point which mm. required more manpower and uh, you know the, the, to this day they probably still need more people it's uh it's a lot going on and it's a lot that i learned there for sure that i could take to apply uh, to my next stop yeah i've had i've had very positive experiences uh you know betting into the super book um from new jersey you know um, so i i can't not, not, i have nothing bad to say about it um you know we've gotten a decent pop um, they haven't given everybody a decent pop. There's a couple of people, you know, is, was there anything you didn't like, like, you know, that you could say, you know what I mean? Not the, you know, or constructive criticism, like how could somebody could get better? We're not trying to throw anybody under the bus, but any suggestions on how could the company could get better? You know, when I had an extra interview with HR on Monday and I told them all this, I'd rather not say it on here, but I, I certainly can say that some of the things that go wrong are not things that we can control. I'll, I'll give you an example. Uh, the player prop market in the NBA is an absolute joke. Um, you got people that only sign up to, and their first bet is an NBA player prop. I mean, just, okay, you've, you've established yourself as a, a guy that just cleans up the boards and bets stuff that we're not, we don't want. We don't book that. You know, it's a third-party provider. I, I can already tell you right now, when I go into play, I'm going to say, what is it, what can we do to get rid of this nonsense? Like mean potatoes are the big thing. That's the one that's going to pay the bills. Uh, you may try to attract customers doing that other, doing the other stuff. 
but I'm just not interested in that. I saw how much, you know, we, we, we lost before we finally just waved the flag and, and put, cut, cut everybody to a hundred bucks on that stuff. You know, just, there's no reason to book stuff like that for anything more than that when it's not stuff that we control. I mean, I, I can go in there and move the line under the service provider and it moves itself back if it wants to. And then, and then at that point they can bet again. <laughs> I mean, it's just, uh, it's, uh, yeah. Who, who's, a, who's a service provider? Well, well, there was all kinds of switch analytics is involved, sport radar, IGT. I mean, it's all, all different varieties of stuff that happens that we don't control the lines on. So basically, if it's not a big game, it's not a regular board game or something that we, we have a line on the Don Best screen, you know, and it's, and that makes sense. Why we want to take a big bet on that. We don't have control over that. We're not the ones that sit down there and do the player, the lot, the lot markets for that stuff every day. It's hard enough to run this business doing the regular stuff, let alone yeah. all that nonsense on the side. Yeah, that stuff is hung as a courtesy, um, and I think yeah. people need to realize that. But how about the regular stuff? You know what I mean, like NFL, NBA. You know, what I mean, you know, college basketball. Like you know, uh, you know, limits are a dime and a nickel. Um, yep. It's is is. You think that's you know? I know. Uh, I, I think that's too low, but yeah. I also it's not my money, and we also had tr trouble at times to win to it. So I understand. But but my my personal opinion, I told Ed this: the college basketball market this year, in my mind, was as sharp as it's ever been earlier than it's ever been meaning that I would be comfortable taking big bets even before Christmas on the college basketball more than I think others did. That's mm -hmm. my own opinion. But, you know, obviously I backed it up in March. We were the first to market on a lot of these games, not all of them in the tournament before I left. And that's I, when I put in my notice, I was really hoping that they would let me work and hope because I mean, my mom told me, listen, sometimes if you're, they deem you as a threat, they're going to not want you to work. They're going to get you out of there that day. So don't be surprised. And when I went back and told Murray, he was surprised that I was leaving, but I said, I'm going to try to work through the next weekend and get us to the sweet 16, because you know how it is in the sports book business. At this point, there's a drop-off. Really nothing has to happen. You don't have to have people there to work until football again. I mean, you've yeah. got enough going on, you know, all you've got 15 college basketball games left, and then you got NBA playoffs, hockey playoffs, and baseball, and I guess the USFL, but that's it. There's not enough going on to justify all these people. They, they can easily lose me for now train others don't have to hire anybody else until football then they can decide if they want to hire somebody or not but yeah. i thought i was leaving on good terms i was leaving at a good time i was able to do the tournament props today we made a lot of money last week on those so you know i certainly you know i think i quitted myself well going out and uh you know i got no hard feelings to anybody there i chat with them all I, you know all, everybody was really good i talked face to face to everybody you know especially my superiors when i was on the way out and they all wished me well and i wished them well too you know i just said you'll, you'll see me around i'm gonna start popping up on the other side again <laughs> you'll see uh yeah. you know you'll see buyers on the ticker here pretty soon and they all laughed you know they got me as a general public guy I said well yeah i did that on purpose when i started betting there i bet a lot of favorites and overs it was easy because you guys always had the best available on those slides so yeah. I, 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 I did a pretty good job of trying to classify i do that everywhere I try to when i first start betting try to bet stuff that makes me look like a sucker and then they they, they, they classify you that way and then uh, you could sort of change your habits later on after they think that you don't know what you're doing so yeah i said you'll see me again and they all laughed so that's good, good. times i'm glad you guys left on good terms and you know Jay Cornegy, Ed Sammons, these guys are legends in the business, and they've really made an impact on, on not just the Las Vegas scene, but in, gen in the world scene, particularly when it comes to the NFL being first um, and, and, and and taking a pop. So I, I'm, I'm, I'm glad you're able to, to leave on those good terms. All right, so now let's get to the current chapter. Definitely not the final chapter, Rex. you still got so much more, you're, you know. You know, I usually bring people on that are retired or that have, you know, that's it, they're done. You're, you're just, you know, even though your career is 18 years, I feel as if this is, you're, you're about to pave a new way now. Let's talk about the whole play up. How did that, what was the approach? Um, how did they, how did, how did you get wind of that? And, um, and what your vision is for the future um, being the head of trading, head of wagering. Yep. 
yeah, I actually had the, the road started with this. The, the first bits were planted back all the way to uh, when G2E was here last October. I think during the, the night of the Yankee playoff game against the Red Sox, the one off there, I uh, had met up with Joe Rogers uh, in the Venetian sports book and I had dinner with him and Dave Sherapan and a few others, a, a couple of bet online guys, I think actually were there too. It's kind of funny. It's a, a barrage of different people, but I had talked to, to Joe and he had mentioned, you know, that there was going to be an opening at some point and they, they were interested and my name had come up multiple times. And so I just sort of, uh, you know, I, I said, I'm, you know, I'm pretty happy where I'm at right now. You're gonna have to come with a pretty big number. And uh, I think they kind of blinked at it for a while, but he got back to me around Christmas and he said that number's not, it's not, not out of the question. So once we, we established, okay, I can make this and we'll talk about bonus structure later, let's, let's see what we can do. And so we just sort of, sort of talked and I had a, a couple of chats with some other folks as, as early as maybe late January. But uh, yeah, I mean, once we just, once we got a little bit more commitment from his end, then it was kind of like, okay, let's make this happen. And it just, I just looked for the best time. Okay. Let's see, when can we make this happen? And uh, yeah, I mean, like I say, I, I can't really say too much about what's going on in the future. I do have a non-compete for three months that I got to deal with. No, no moving lines, uh, no hands-on involvement, no marketing. I mean, I'll be able to wear play-up polos and hats next week at Bed Bash, but you know, I can't go out there and specifically talk about what the plans are too much um, out of respect to Murray and, and, and their people for, for what I had signed up for when I was working at the Westgate. So, and I, I will say that I, yeah, certainly we're going to be competitive. We're, we're going to be in some new States pretty soon. I think now it's New Jersey and Colorado. Um, Arizona's on the horizon, I believe. Um, Indiana and Iowa are up next uh, sometime this summer. We hope I, I guess after that, I don't, I don't know the details become a little bit murky, but uh, they threw me into the fire. Yesterday was the first full day of meetings and I got another one later today. Uh, well, you know, the biggest thing is establishing technology. I think, you know, it's the key is to be able to find equipment and software. that's going to give you a chance to win. I mean, I, I think the Europeans that have infiltrated this market uh, have done a lousy job, quite frankly. Uh, really, there should be a, a, a clear dichotomy at the top with FanDuel and DraftKings having a clear edge based on what they have to deal with. But DraftKings is mismanagement of what they've done. In addition to FanDuel having a little bit better software and smart people moving their lines have shown better results for them. There's a clear break between one and two. And then I think MGM and Caesars are clearly right there below them and have the best chance to succeed. And after that, really, it's a free-for-all for everybody else. You know, Anybody that can show themselves to, to be capable and knowledgeable and have a clue and have the right equipment, software, and team in place, good chance to to go in there and fill that vacuum in the five spot, really, so to speak. Not that you ever aim to shoot for number five, but that's that's a good starting point. That's somewhere I think in a couple of years we can get to. There's a long way to go here. Customer base is not one that I'm, I'm particularly happy with. It's going to be really, really difficult to earn based on how things are set. And I, I, I set the bar fairly straight. I'm not going to go in there and tell them that, uh, oh, everything's great. Let's go in here and start winning. No, it's not going to happen. I, I can see how the things are set up. There's going to have to be some changes made and, and I'm going to you know get a team established and we're going to do We're going to make those changes and slowly but surely we're going to turn the product to, to one that I think is going to be a really good one. Uh, just going to take a little time. I love it. I met Joe. I was at their launch party in Jersey um, and his whole staff, great guys. All those guys are such good guys. I love the vision that they have. Um, I, you know, out of respect for them, I'm still not a customer, an official customer yet. Um, just cause you know, I, they, they don't just have the volume and I don't want to go in there and, and, you know, I'm, I'll, I'll be, the, whenever they let me know, I can sign up. I'll, I'll happily become a customer, but, and I'm sure you'll, you'll give me the green light to you, be able to. Yeah. You'll probably hear that for me. Maybe Joe wants to do it and I'll let him do it if so, but I can tell you that at some point when it comes time, you'll, you'll, 
you'll be there. But he's you're, he's right. We, you have no place with us right now. And there's no there's not enough that we could do to to to, to be able to earn off of it. It would, it would just understood no one way traffic. Yeah. Yeah, I completely understand. I would, and again, I you know I, I find it better to go in the front door. No need. I'm I'm not a you know. I don't need. To, I think that going in the front door is, is so much better uh, long term. And yeah, I mean, you want us to win. I mean, that's here's the yeah. thing. That's another thing that the Westgate does well, and other people need to understand about throwing people out. If you throw somebody out, they're just going to get mad, and they're going to find another way in through somebody else, and you're not going to know who they who it is. You're not going to know who's yeah, yeah, exactly. you out of more money. So, Good like, point. why would you throw anybody out ever? If you want to cut them, that's fine. I mean, the, the the reasons to get thrown out are very small. You pass post. Uh, on purpose or habitually, you bet a wrong side uh, habitually or uh, for a, a money amount of money that you never bet before anything else. Like it's a very small list of things. And like, remember offshore, we could just cancel the bet here. You can't do that. You got to pay. You know what I mean? Yeah. So like, you, you know, you, people want to take shots and, and bet mistakes. Then, uh, you know, I, I have very little use for those people, but the ones that actually want to give you a fair bet, be honest, you know, do things the right way. I know how you are. You want us to do well because you need bookmakers to succeed. 100%. You'd have more outs. And it's, it's, it's common sense. Comments. You you said it best, and I think this this message will probably go out to any bookmaker that's that's listening. And it's not just me, but I always say it's either you deal with me or you deal with me. And um and and I, not to sound like a tough guy or whatever, but you know I I could go in and I could be nice. We could all try to figure out a way where everybody could earn, and I could you know I could wet my beak. You guys could book me. It's fine. But if I get treated like shit, if I get treated like garbage. Um, I'll find 15 ways in and I'll hit you upside down. You're not even going to know what's happening. And if you want me to play that game, I'll do it too. I don't want to play that game. You don't want me to play that game. So it's such a great thing to be able to go in the front door, shake hands and say, this is how we operate. And I think that you just hit the nail on the head that why not, why shouldn't everybody take that approach? You know what I mean? And, and, and it's a shame that not, other bookmakers don't take that approach saying, listen, it's the sharps are going to find their way in. It's better to deal with the devil. I know than the devil. I don't kind of. Yep. That's it. And like I said, I think a lot of it just comes from a lack of experience and a lot of, a lot of the people with the Euro influence over here, they just think that their ways the way and me working over there taught me quickly that it wasn't, I mean, I went to Austria, one of my trips when I was training and that was the guy in charge of building the lines out for Sport Radar to Americanize them from decimal. Well, you know, there's calculators out there that tells you what they are, if this, then that. And I, for whatever reason, he couldn't get the code correctly. And he's just like, I don't understand why you guys are worried about this. Americans aren't are just going to do it our way anyways. Like, you could not be more wrong about that. Oh my they, they God. Act like our, 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 our people are a bunch of idiots over here. The American customer is so much smarter than, I mean, this is three and a half years ago that this happened, over three. And, and it's so much more smarter now than they were then. There's so many more tools for them to be able to have a chance to earn. You know what Rufus and Captain Jack are doing is good. I mean, what what you've done with with some of the stuff that you brought to light. Now you're talking about your own odd service. I mean, there's some things that are happening that a lot of people that were advantage players probably don't like because it's taking away some of their edges. But but that's all it's doing is in, in, in enlightening a, a, a new generation of people that bet on games. And I'm telling you, they ain't even close. These people aren't out giving their money away. It's tough to win. And uh, it's not like I think the Europeans take it for granted that their customers, they call them punters. That drives me nuts. Are all uh, they're all just going to lose or they're all recreational. The recreational customer in America is much, much smarter than what they were even three, five, ten years ago by a lot. It's uh, listen, this is a tough racket. Margins are low. Winning ain't no accident. Winning ain't no accident either, buddy. That's exactly right. Rex, to close, the name of the podcast, as you know, is called Be Better Betters. Any bit of advice you could give to aspiring betters pro betters, semi-pro, or maybe guys that just want to lose a little bit less. How about this one? Uh, keep track of your bets. Um, that's something that I'm poor at uh, because when you do that, you can keep track of when you made the bet, Keep see what the closing line value is. So you, that, will, that will teach you when to bet so you can learn if you're getting the best of the number earlier or later. And obviously – 
tying that all together, the most important thing is getting the best of the number. doesn't matter about teams. doesn't matter about players. In the end, if you don't get the number, you're not going to win. Well said. Make the best of the number. Keep good records. One last thing before we close. You know, let's talk about closing line value reports real quick. Um, how like, did the Westgate, did other people employ, like, in, in order to see who's sharp? Is that the number one report people are looking at instead of wins and losses? I think that, that it's employed, but I also think it's a very tired way to do it. It's not about just when the closing line is. It's about when they bet it and did it move a different way before it got to where the close was. You have to know who, where the, what kind of manipulation is involved, and that's at the top level, Spanky. We're talking, like, maybe 2% of the people that I've ever dealt with know enough about that to, to sit down with me and talk about it. And that's not disrespecting anybody. I'm just saying, like, this has to be an Ed Sammons, Jeff Davis type conversation and very few others in Vegas that, that could sit down and we could under, that can understand what I'm talking about with all the manipulations. I mean, I see it happen on a daily basis and, <laughs> and you have to be really good at being able to figure out how to read that screen and know what's real and what's not. And, you know, I, that's something when you do it for long as I have, you figure it out pretty quickly. And, you know, I, I've, you know, I've been a part of it before, you know, certainly I, I know how things work when people are moving me around and, you know, <laughs> if you don't move, they're not going to give you the bets. If you do move, you know, they're going to get the bets and, uh, you know, that you're going to know what the right sides are, not saying any names like yours or anybody, but you know, it <laughs> happens sometimes. <laughs> oh man. I, those are, I can't stand those manipulators. They drive me nuts. But, uh, <laughs> Rex, you're a good man, brother. Thank you so much for coming on. And, um, it really means a lot of best of luck to you, a play up and a whole play up team. I'm so happy to finally, um, I've been trying to get one of the play up guys to come on a podcast for a while and, um, so I'm glad that you're, you're the guy to come on, given our history and our friendship. Yeah, I appreciate that. I think it was better, like I said, to wait until this happened. And the timing's really good. So I, I look forward to, to seeing how they're, how it's received. And I certainly look forward to seeing you and many others out here next week. Uh, for uh, absolutely. Rex, thanks so much for the time. Until next time.